0: It's episode forty four of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinski. Joining me today is Ryan Topp and JP Breen can't be here. So uh, hopefully next week. Yep. Right? Yep. And then you guys you guys had some uh, technical issues, so the minor league pod will be coming out later. Yeah, we well, we had some cancellation issues. We're we're working on getting a guest for it, and so we'll get it worked out. Yes. The so. minor league pod will be there soon. Yeah, it's once a month. So what's what's a few days, right? Yes, the draft yes. just happened. We can get a the little more. Yes, we can get, get a little, little more distance. information, a little distance, and kind of figure that out. So hey, they didn't play many games this week. So did you binge anything uh, since we had all this time in the evening? I was mostly at my new place. Oh, that's right. You're moving. Yeah, I'm in the. So you're painting. You I'm have, in the middle of moving. You have adult responsibilities.
1: Yes, there's there's adulting going on. So, <laughs> yeah. We're we're slowly moving things carload by car load up to the to the new place. But the main move comes next Saturday,
0: as you know. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> what what toasted cool color are you painting everything? Um not really that. It's we're actually the the
1: in my bedroom currently over there. See that? Yeah, that color. This is great radio, Steve. This a, is a fantastic. Great, that's radio. why as
0: you describe it, not just point. So yeah, that's some kind of bluish gray color. It's a bluish gray, yeah. Yeah. So that'll that'll yeah, I guess make everybody feel calm when they're in your place. Yes. So if we if we record over there, we won't yell at each other as much.
1: Yes. Oh, it'll be very it'll be very calm though. I think there might be it might be a little more echoey. So we have to find a spot in there that's not as echoey.
0: You should have gone like pink, like Hayden Fry painted the (laughs) Iowa locker rooms, including the pink urinals yes exactly because didn't that like make everybody very calm or something that was i think that's what he claimed it was i always thought it was more of like he was challenging people's manhood but um, oh i'm sure
1: that's exactly what it was that was it was it was more of that which i think would like more piss people off especially like football player types i would think would be more pissed off
0: by that than anything but i don't know they're putting on their uniforms i'm sure they're not sitting there staring at the walls
1: yeah, but it was very pink. You've seen pictures, right? It's super pink. <laughs> like that that locker room, super, super pink.
0: I guess. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. So, anyways, I look forward to your new place being pink at least in a couple of rooms. Yes. In yeah. the in the guest room. That's where you gotta put it. So, anyways, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our facebook page you can also follow the three of us on twitter and you'll find that in our milwaukees tailgate twitter bio and finally if you'd like to support the podcast you can visit patreon.com slash mke tailgate our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. Out now is America AF. You know what the AF stands for? As. F- okay, so we're doing that then? We're, uh, we're just going to like I'll tag be- this one? I'll beep that one. <laughs> But it is very American. So uh, it's a watermelon Berliner Kolsch that's uh, perfect for a hot summer afternoon. Look for it at the Carbon 4 Taproom on Kidsman Boulevard on Madison's east side. Or look for other awesome Carbon 4 beers at a retailer near you. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre-3 and MixPre-6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. So, kind of a rough start to the week, but things got on track once I hit Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, I mean they lost two games in a row for the first time since late April, and then Mm -hmm. they lost a third. So, Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of tough when you play two game series against Cleveland, and every time you hit them, you get Kluber and Carrasco.
1: Yeah, they were not getting the the short end of that. That's not a great draw. No, no, and they
0: did it twice. So they took one of four from two starts against Kluber and two starts against Carrasco because the the. uh, Big suitor bomb came against Kluber here in Milwaukee Yeah, a few weeks back. So, mm-hmm. But, you know, what are That's you going to do? That's
1: fine. That's, you know, it, even if it was a bad team going one and three against them over four games, well, that that also happens, so yeah. whatever. But the fact that it's actually a good team and you were facing really good pitchers, yeah, it takes a little bit of the sting out of it. We're going to have to get used to the idea of losing some games at some point. They're not going
0: to... I'm not going to win every series.
1: Well, I think as of yesterday, they were on pace for something like 99 wins as of Saturday mm-hmm. after they beat the Phillies uh, for the second straight day. So they're on pace for that. And if they were to finish out 500, I think they were about 90 ish wins. Can't remember the exact number, but it was I, around you know 90ish what? wins. So it's
0: still early enough in June. I'm not really looking at that, but I did see that uh, this weekend they kind of had some uh, get-right games as far as um, the Pythag. The Pythag, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They absolutely
1: bombed the Phillies twice. Uh, it was really nice to see Ryan Braun with the two home runs on Friday. He had definitely he was hitting much better than what his numbers indicated. So for him to get that. Was really nice. And he still had a couple hard outs. He did still have a couple hard outs, yeah. But he also, he loves Philadelphia so much. I mean, hitting... I I was joking on Twitter that they should basically just pay some Philadelphia jerks to follow him around and boo him wherever he goes, and he'd be
0: the greatest player in the history of the world. So you think it's the fans that do it and not the park?
1: Well, so Braun did say before that uh, series... He said he was looking forward to getting to Philadelphia and hitting there. Yeah. Uh, he told council that. So I don't know if it's the park. I'm sure I'm sure it's partially the park because I my understanding is it does have a nice hitter's background and obviously the dimensions are friendly. You can you can get balls out of there fairly easily down the lines. It's not it's not real short and center. It is a fairly spacious center field, but if you're going the power alleys and out to the lines, it's yeah, it's very, very doable. So as we saw also with G-Man Choi's grand slam mm-hmm. that's probably in a lot of parks that's not a home run no well i
0: mean he didn't just scrape the wall
1: he didn't no you're right he didn't just scrape the wall but if those if it's
0: back a little bit further that ball's maybe curling foul but it was going that was an opposite field shot it was opposite field yeah
1: and it just kind of i was surprised yeah it it though.
0: went it went up and it just kind of hung there and it was kind of like He hit it, and you thought, it's a fly ball, and then all of a sudden it kept going. It was like, oh, this has a chance.
1: It caught – who would have been uh, on the call at that point? It would have been – not Levering. It would have been uh, Grindle. I saw the TV broadcast. Yeah, no, it was – Grindle had the call at that point, and he was surprised Mm -hmm. by it because his call of it was – I think he thought it was going foul from the way he called it it sounded like he thought it was going to like follow. it was going to keep hooking cuz then he he said oh it's gone like and that was it and
0: yeah and that's your new home run call yeah was, oh so well, look was, at that yeah i
1: don't i don't know if he added the o but you he get sounded you get to use that. a
0: genuine note of surprise in his voice Lane Gringle gets to use that for the next 50 years of his career
1: speaking of which so this weekend I was listening to the games. Normally, I, I watch on TV. I very rarely listen unless I'm driving. And we haven't been doing a lot of long driving trips over the last few years. So I've not really heard much of Grindel and uh, more Levering. But on these road trips, I haven't heard much of Lane Grindel. And it really is when him and uh, when those two start a conversation with each other, it is hard to follow who is who. Because yes. their voices are so similar, they are very similar. It's very yeah. It gets tricky to to follow which one is speaking at a given moment. You have to kind of follow the conversation that way. There's a little bit of a difference, but it doesn't show up when they speak all the time. Their normal speaking, it, it sounds very similar. So,
0: but it works. They're both good announcers, and the and they were good to they to, were joking yeah. around quite a bit yesterday during the game. Yes, they had yeah. I caught they, some of that. They were, yeah. They were. They got a good back and forth rapport. Yes, they
1: they were amusing, they, and there was no euchre there to you know stir things up. So like, well, they usually can hold that down themselves. I
0: mean, usually euchre conversations are you set euchre up. Sure. That's the that's the whole purpose of having that that's second the, guy there is you set euchre up to tell his stories, where sure. yeah these two can have more of a conversation. Yes. So, yeah, it's good to hear, and it was good to see that Grand Slam. I think a couple of those runs got tagged to Jake Arietta.
1: I think three of them did. I think he left with the bases loaded. At least, two, at least two of them were Arietta's.
0: Yeah. So it went from being a decent start for Arietta to... A pretty lousy one. A lousy start, So which was interesting when he was going up against uh, Ulysses Chassin. Our, yes. The, the Milwaukee Brewers' big uh, free agent pitching <laughs> signing versus the Philadelphia's big signing.
1: It is funny how good he has been since the very early—he did look rough at the beginning. He was, he was problematic, I guess, through the first few starts, through the first handful. But over his last 11, his numbers—I mean, he's got an ERA in the mid-twos and uh, really putting up solid peripheral numbers. He's never going to be a guy that's going to strike out a lot of people. But where he can be good in terms of his peripherals is when he keeps the walks down. Mm-hmm. When he keeps the walks down and gets the distance between the strikeouts and the uh and the walks, that's where you're gonna see him be able to put up, you know, legitimate results that way. So you wouldn't necessarily expect that it's going to continue. You're not gonna expect this sort of pace from him. Because as he's pitched over the majority of the season now, he's basically a solid number two. And I don't think he's quite that good. He's not he's he's much more of a middle rotation starter, middle to back end, than he is that good. But he is what he's doing is very important for them right now in that he's carrying so much of what they get from the rotation. He helps them set up uh so that their bullpen doesn't get used a ton. He is eating some innings for them. He's making so that, his starts. Well, yeah, that <laughs> that's amazing.
0: Huge. It's amazing how valuable that is. But, I, I mean, you look at it right now, Shasin's um, uh, Dre uh, is at 5.09. Is that where we're going with this, Dre? JP called it Dre. Did he? Okay. He did. I, he you're right you're, right, you're right, you're yeah. right, you're right. So that's why, after he did that, I went with it. I forget, we'd have to ask uh, Jonathan Judge if, if that's going to be the legit way to refer to it. But, you know, I'm fine with Dre. That's... That's You're cool down with, with me, Dre. I'm down with Dre. So uh, Arietta's at uh, 462, and you Darvish, the other big time, you know, free agent pitcher this offseason, is at 464.
1: Yeah, which so, took a I big mean, hit yesterday.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, Darvish has also been on the DL twice. Right.
1: Yeah, it's. Really I'm just saying been-
0: that's less than a half run difference between Darvish. Arietta and what Shasin has provided for them. Yeah. For quite a bit less.
1: For remarkably less, especially in terms of the length of commitment. Yeah. I mean, they had to commit two years to Shasin at not even a particularly large amount. No. Like $8 million a year-ish? It
0: was like sixteen total? Yeah, it was like a two-year $16 million contract. I think. Yeah. So, so I, you know, it's not, point being, Shasin was not a sexy signing in this offseason. No, but he's been very competent. He's been competent, and you don't have, I think, that that buyer's remorse you can get if you know you would assign an Arietta or Darvish, and they spend time on the DL or they're ineffective.
1: Yeah, Arietta has been pretty decent. No, Arietta's been
0: good. If Arietta was in this rotation right now for the Brewers, that would be great. Right. It would, be, would be very useful. Yeah. It would be very useful. But
1: the Phillies still owe him two years after this at twenty-five million per, and then there's you know. They have the option to extend and pass that. But
0: yeah, it's. I mean, it could be worth it, but there's risk. Yeah. Shasin is basically no risk.
1: No, there's very little risk. And
0: yeah. And it, he's been fine. Yeah. So, you know, it's good to see. Um, it kind of keeps a rotation afloat, especially when, again, you've had time where Davies has been out or you're kind of shuffling through Woodruff, Peralta, Suter anybody at the back of the rotation
1: yeah and it really has been a shuffle and the shuffle continues today on sunday with uh woodruff coming back up to make a start Mm -hmm. so
0: which again is why when we go into a season and we say oh they have you know how many guys for the final spot in the rotation it's like no they're all going to pitch at some point
1: right yeah they will all
0: unless somebody gets hurt like before they can come up they will all be up there um, so anyways, uh, big move coming this week, tomorrow, probably. Yeah. Tomorrow. Monday, according Monday, to uh, according to uh Craig council is Eric Thames is going to return to the roster. Right. And so, people
1: will already know by the time they're listening to this, most likely, unless they listen to a first thing on Monday morning before any announcement is made, but they'll know who's going out for Thames to come back.
0: Yeah. So I guess, uh, we'll, we'll quickly go over it. And we actually have a question from uh Nick Settle on Twitter. Um, We have Thames, Aguilar, Braun, Yelich, Kane, and Santana. They're all healthy. What do you do with the roster? Well, okay. So a couple different things here.
1: First is how to get everybody playing time. We'll deal with that later. But first, who has to go out? I think that...
0: Well, G-Man Choi.
1: Well, G-Man Choi went out for Woodruff today. Okay. Okay. And
0: they, that's how quick it happens. I'm like, oh, yeah.
1: They could send him back out. They could also, you know, run with a, a slightly shorter pen for a while mm-hmm. if they wanted to. So they could do that as, in terms of short term solutions, they could do that if they wanted to. They could send Woodruff right back out uh, to AAA to make room, or they could potentially, you know, send somebody down from the bullpen. You could move down, you know. Taylor
0: Williams, perhaps. Williams has been pitching well. Williams has
1: yeah, Williams has been pitching well.
0: It's it, that's trickier. It Barnes I guess, Barnes Barnes is a guy that can get shuffled up and down. Yeah.
1: It, it's, it, that gets a little bit trickier. And they don't like to leave themselves shorthanded in the bullpen, which I understand. That's a big part of how this team operates right now is they have, you know, a deep bullpen and rotate through it. Is now the moment that they pull the plug on the Hernan Perez thing. I mean, it's possible that they do that. Mm-hmm. I think that you can make a you can make a pretty justifiable case. 246, 269, 351 and that's not a, a massive step down from last year. It's a it's a step down from last year, but he does offer them flexibility.
0: Is that flexibility enough to justify it? Well,
1: so some of the flexibility, so they like to be able to play him in left, but Eric Thames is going to be starting in left today on Sunday for Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. So he's getting time out there. Now, I don't know how much you want to play Eric Thames out in the outfield. That seemed to be not the greatest fit for him last year in terms of keeping him healthy. But it is at least an option. They can put him out there for some innings and have him, you know, go out there and play.
0: Yes, if you're looking for a way to just kind of keep, get everybody at bats. If to get everybody at bats. Braun's going to need time off. Yes. I guess you could play the matchup and get Thames in. Of course, that still puts Aguilar hitting against righties. But he's been hitting.
1: I mean, Aguilar needs to hit quite a bit still. I think that that would be, that would be their in their best interest is to get him in the lineup. Well, especially
0: oh. since Santana just hasn't gotten going. Right. I mean even even when he shows signs of life he hasn't really like gotten back to um anywhere close to the level he was hitting last season. I mean at, at a certain point like how long do you wait for that to happen?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tricky. You can't not play him. You can't not play Domingo Santana. He has to get into the lineup on a on a regular basis. That's not playing him isn't an option. Turning him into purely a bench bat and not getting a significant number of starts. I don't think that's really a viable option. I think if you're going to do that, it would be better to send him down to AAA. but I don't know if that's really justified. He he hasn't hit like he did last year, but he also hasn't been he hasn't been so terrible that he's unplayable. He he really at this point, I think you could say he hasn't gotten hot. Mhm. But you know, OPS plus of 84, that's that's pretty below average in a corner outfield, especially. But it's not sucking chest wound territory. It's much, much, much better than, you know, Hernan Perez and his 65.
0: Yeah. So. Well, how much does Jonathan VR make Hernan Perez expendable? Because, I mean, part of Perez getting time was VR wasn't playing great, and so they could, you know, kind of rotate those guys in. But since, basically since May 1st, vr slashing 280 333 473
1: power's coming back a little bit
0: and i mean that was even if vr wasn't the you know 2016 version if you told everybody that that is the kind of line that vr is going to put up if he puts up an 806 ops
1: well does that make it could they send sogard back down and use vr as their backup shortstop and then leave perez on the team that might also be a way to go, but do they want to have VR as their backup shortstop? Because they, they worked so hard to get him used to playing at second base, and he really hasn't... I don't think he's gotten more than just a, a quick peek at shortstop in the last couple of years. He hasn't played too many innings over there. I know that.
0: No. I Yeah, I... I... Shortstop's tough. Yeah, it seems like they'd want to keep that flexibility at short. Well, because even when... Because you can then move Sogard to second. If even you when Arcia
1: was goes. down, even when he was not doing well, when they would spell him, it was always Saladino or uh, Sogard mm-hmm. who were getting those looks. It wasn't VR getting, getting looks at shortstop, even though that's where he came from. And I'm sure he'd be more than capable of just, you know, going over there on an emergency fill-in basis. So if that's all you're looking for, is somebody to go emergency fill-in over there, that's one thing, but... You wouldn't then be able to spell. Uh, you wouldn't be able to spell Arcia, so that that gets tricky. It's this is a a complicated time. We were joking. We were just were sort of in the the early stages of the game here, and uh, Aguilar took one off the knee. On. yeah and we were wondering, well does that solve their problem? And then he he was fine. It, we weren't hoping he was hurt, but it no, was like
0: But there's a little bit like, oh, if he needs, you know, a couple of games to get right, it's easy to just put him on the DL and delay having to make like a larger decision.
1: Yes. And wait for something else to to happen that that sorts this thing out. So but that did not seem to happen. So and again, we're not rooting for him to get hurt. It's just you're you're looking for any sort of way to make this this sort of tricky situation uh, workable. Yeah, when was the last time Braun played first base?
0: Um, This road trip. Did he? G- he was over time. there, I think, in one of the games against Cleveland. Okay. Yeah, Like think so. Still not a lot, though. I mean, the whole Ryan Braun playing first base thing is, it's kind of there, but not a legit every week type of situation.
1: Well, Thames was so good early, mm-hmm. and with Aguilar on the roster, he was getting the the time over there, when Thames wasn't, for the most part anyway. And then Aguilar comes in and is so good. So he's not getting pushed out by Braun much anymore. It's There hasn't been a real need to have him at first base much. Just because both sort of Thames was really good and then he got hurt and then Aguilar was really good. There hasn't really been a, a major need to just have somebody else in there. Mm-hmm.
0: So going back to the question, though, uh, we had the six guys, Thames, Aguilar, Braun, Yellich, Kane, and Santana. They're safe on the roster. You would think. I'm not, yeah. I mean, the roster move comes from. I know
1: the the question asker, Nick, he, he was talking about potentially having Aguilar be, you know, DFA it or something, you know. I, I don't think that's right. going to happen. I that's think not going to happen. If, I if really they don't can, think so.
0: if they can send Sogard down, or they can send Perez out, uh, yeah, it would be out. I, he would have to be DFA'd. I mean, he could accept an assignment
1: to Colorado Springs. Yeah, I don't know that he would need to. And yeah, I, I mean, maybe should, really.
0: maybe that would do it if they know they can get Sogard down and still keep him.
1: Yeah, that's a. It does give them the option, at least. But in terms of finding playing time for everybody, it is tricky because you're talking about six guys that you want to get basically every day at bats for for four
0: spots. It's tricky, but Braun gets days off. Kane, you know, could use some days off. Um, You know, you're still you can play matchups with Thames and Aguilar. I I mean, I don't think it seems tricky if everybody plays 162 games a year, but they don't. Right. So I think there are ways to kind of move guys around and make it workable and you know, nobody's going to sit there and and complain about it. Yeah, it's I think Santana's going to take the brunt of it. At a certain point, you'd think you'd have to start, you know, Because of production and where they're at in the standings, you can't with a team that's winning just say, like, we're going to ride a guy out at a certain point. Like winning games is going to be the most important thing, not player development.
1: Well, but you also want to make sure that you're giving yourself the best chance to have the best players who play well. Yeah. Given how good Santana was last year, you don't want to just like go, well, he's in a cold spell right now. So let's not give him a chance to get out of it. I don't think you want to. Well, he's you, not
0: hitting his way out of it.
1: He hasn't, but he's also not been getting consistent at bats for quite a while now. Like, he's in the lineup one day, not in the lineup the next well, day. Well, but that that's, happened that's with that's VR, tricky.
0: and eventually he had to kind of hit his way out of it as well. He did, yeah.
1: It Yes, it's a tricky situation that they're in right now. They don't, you know they have too many people for the at-bats. That but like it says something
0: them. when they, they all have to just earn their way out of it. If you yeah, get you, know in, what, if, you know what You know If you get in the doghouse, if you get in a funk like that, you got to earn your way out of it. And, you know, no matter how much we say, like, no, this guy that's, you know, 25, 26 years old has had a good – and, I mean, Santana really has one good season under his belt that yes. we can point to. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a guy who has, you know, two, three, four seasons or something like that where you'd say – no this should the this should course correct at some point he's he's a player who has flaws he does who had a very good season last year mm-hmm. but when the brewers were shopping him this offseason maybe got lukewarm interest at most and teams weren't willing to just say he's you know the piece to make a move on so there were, there were red flags about domingo santana in the offseason
1: sure and then there were in spring training too where the k rate was significantly up and he's still striking out a lot that does make he has a fine line to walk because of the strikeouts
0: and we talked about this in the offseason
1: yes yeah he has a fine line to walk because he is always going to strike out a lot and so when he's not that puts a lot of pressure to hit for power when you aren't when you are when you are striking out that much you need to hit for some power
0: and he has to be a high contact guy he was a high contact guy last season uh, batting average on contact you mean he was just putting the bat on the ball quite a bit well yeah but I mean, he was still striking out a lot sure but he was still able to put the bat on the ball and i'm just saying like if that falls for him if he's not giving himself a lot of opportunities for hits okay and he's yeah
1: sl- no it and he needs to get a relatively high babbit which he has traditionally had a somewhat high babbit because i think of the nature of the the contact he makes he makes hard contact mm-hmm. and that helps so I mean, we'll see. It's it's a tricky dance they have to do. Chances are good something will happen that will will straighten this out. But I was going to say before, you know what would really solve all this, Steve? What? Well, if they had the DH in the National League, like they should, then <laughs> well, but that's not coming this season.
0: No, it's not. But I mean, that so would be that. That's a different debate because you know you can say like, yeah, bring the DH to the NL. That's fine. I don't personally, I don't care either way. Like you play with the rules you have. Sure. The Brewers would be in an ideal position right
1: now. The way their roster is structured, they would be an ideal team to have a DH because they could rotate through a series of guys and really take advantage of that extra hitter spot in the lineup. Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. Oh, the- yeah.
0: The defensive alignment would be a lot better, probably, if you could rotate Braun out and, th- you know, Thames didn't have to spend a lot of time in left field. Right, yeah, no, that would essentially, Thames would
1: never have to play left field. You could get much better outfield play, I think, on a daily basis in there. And you would get, you'd have the ability to give Braun time at DH, Thames time at DH. These guys need time away from the field. Not necessarily away from the plate, but away from playing in the field. And that would, in, in both those cases, that would really help. So, yes, that that is the ideal solution is to get a... Can we can we petition Rob Manfred to just change that rule in the
0: middle of the season? You want to swap the, uh, swap the Astros back to the NL Central and yeah, we'll just we'll just swap it up right now. Get, get ready for a lot of nine uh, o'clock starts though. I mean, it's summer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: doesn't bother me any. Well, in the summer,
0: <laughs> you know, other people the summer's just hot. It yeah, doesn't no. <laughs> change their schedules a whole lot. So. Um, Hey, we have a question from Steve Romanesco. Uh, He says, Craig Council seems to do a lot of switching on pitching when it's a relief situation, and it switches between left and right-handed batters. Uh, Do the numbers on relief pitching and batting handedness back up this as a good and necessary move?
1: I mean, I think this isn't what he's asking, but I think a big part of why Council does this stuff is he can then switch uh, where the hitter's or where the pitching spot in the lineup is, and that allows him to go with longer relief appearances from guys, and he doesn't have to worry about uh, potentially pulling a guy too early. We don't see that often where a guy comes up. We did see it in on Saturday's game. Josh Hader uh, came in, pitched a, a very strong inning, and then... Uh, the Brewers batted around, I think, or came very close to it. They got mm-hmm. back to the pitcher spot yeah. by the end of that inning and Council yanked Hader. And a big part of that was the game had gone from a three-run game to a six-run game, seven-run game, somewhere in there. Yeah. So there had been this big switch where he didn't need to necessarily Hater didn't,
0: yeah. Hater H- didn't need to go off for another inning.
1: Hater didn't need to be out there anymore. But I think that's a, a much bigger part of it. In terms of playing matchups... That does get – there's lots of points you can make about playing left-handed, right-handed matchups. In today's game, sometimes you can put yourself in a situation where the manager is just going to make a corresponding move back the other direction anyway, especially if you're talking about making a pitching change. You make a pitching change. Oftentimes, they'll just bring in a different pinch hitter. You know what I mean? They'll they'll do something along those lines uh, to get that matchup it's a little bit easier the other way to do it, where you're making the the lefty righty uh, decision as far as a hitter, because a manager has to have a, a pitcher warmed to be able to go to him and make that make that call. But especially with certain players in certain situations, and I think it's deeper than that for the Brewers. It's not necessarily just left-handed, right-handed. It's what kind of lefty it is, what kind of right-hander it is. Does. This guy particularly poses problems for the type of hitter that you're seeing. Like somebody who has a lefty with a wicked slider, uh, you're not necessarily going to want to have Eric Thames seeing that guy. Or, uh, you know, Yelich is pretty good across the board. You don't worry about that as much. But with right-handers, I think you could see it more too with like somebody like uh, Domingo Santana not facing a righty who has a big wicked slider. That that can be advantageous to get him out in that situation and try to bring in somebody who is maybe going to get a better look at that. Well, pitch. yeah,
0: but I mean, going back to it, I think your point about it, guys pitching across innings is probably the biggest reason. That we see it, yeah. That we see it. And then also, again, when we go through the the roster and say, hey, they need to get at bats for all these guys. Yes. Like you have the ability to bring guys off the bench that are legit hitters. They're not, you know, like Here's a guy on the back of the bench that they're just waiting for an opportunity to like steal a base in the ninth.
1: Absolutely, and when Craig Council can do that in the sixth inning, and then let a guy come in and maybe get two, three plate appearances if it if it falls that way. Yeah, you know, well, if if the Brewers have an offensive explosion sure. like they have the last few days, yeah, a guy can end up getting to the plate a couple times, you know, maybe three. And yeah, because
0: you got like Kane got like seven at bats the other day.
1: Uh, when you're scoring 12 runs, and yeah. the leadoff hitter is going to come up a bunch. That's <laughs> just kind of how it works. Uh, so, yeah, it's you can you can use that to get guys in. So a guy doesn't necessarily have to start to be useful. And also, then that way, the manager can rearrange. Council, because of the depth he has on the roster, this is the big thing of having all these good players and why it's a good problem to have, you can reset the lineup in such a way that now all of a sudden you're presenting new problems for the other manager to get through because so many managers are trying to go lefty-righty, lefty-righty through lineups with tight leads. Council can reshift a lineup and reorient it so that it's now harder for the manager to be able to do what they want to do. In terms of bringing in guys to play matchups. So it it's definitely a good thing that Council has the kind of depth that he has because we're seeing how well he can utilize it. He really does a great job of this. It's one of his strongest attributes of this and, you know, bullpen management are really some of the, well, the things where go- he really shines. And it goes hand in hand. Yes, it all, yeah, it all works together. You
0: know, we think of it just as bullpen management, you know, bullpen management is one job and then making these other, you know, double switches as being something different, but it's all one action. And we should probably say too, this isn't just Craig Council.
1: He's not coming up with all this stuff on his own. This is a collaborative effort of the front office. You know, that everybody is working on this to come up with various ideas and strategies and ways that people can be deployed. And you can tell they have, they have a pretty in-depth idea of what they want to do in terms of getting guys into the lineup on certain days where it doesn't necessarily match up. It's not purely a lefty-righty matchup. Uh, Who was it last week or two weeks ago? Jelic got in against a lefty, and they really made a point of, because of the fact that that lefty doesn't necessarily have big platoon splits, that Jelic was, this is where they wanted him. I Mm -hmm. think they had him maybe
0: hitting... He's usually hitting second, but
1: yeah, they're, they're not just looking at the, at the platoon splits. It's much more in depth than that.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, you know, you go back to, you, you'd see the, the stories of the progressive front offices with the old school managers, you know, we'd going back to the money ball days. Sure. You know, and that's, that's not what this is anymore. These managers are on the same page. There is much of a front office figure as they are a on field, um, old-school manager They're an type. extension yeah, of the front ex- office. But the front office and the coaching staff, the staff in the, the dugout during the games, are all working together. They are not separate units anymore.
1: Right, yeah. And it wouldn't work if they were.
0: But we can see it works better that they do all work together. Oh, absolutely, like, yeah. It's better to see a manager not saying, no, this is the way we've done it, which is what has been the fight for the past, you know, it was a good fight. 10 15 years? It's died down. But in that's the what last I'm saying. It has, it, But that's it was much less of it was thing. a good decade as you were trying to kind of cycle out some of those old old managers that you're like, "Well, we'll get them because at least they're good clubhouse guys." Sure. You know, th- they're pretty much cycled out now.
1: But even even guys like Dusty Baker, Baker adapted. He was sure. he, he was much much better at the end of his career and was clearly more attuned to what the front office of the Nats wanted to do when he was there the, the ownership probably helped, anyway, but
0: <laughs> though that probably helped that he went from not the most progressive front office in Cincinnati at yeah. the time to one that at least was operating a little bit more,
1: a little bit more. Yeah. The Nats are, the Nats are, uh, I think a fairly thoughtful, they're not, they're not on the cutting edge. They're not at, the brewers of the Astros. They're no, no, but not everybody, kind of
0: at, everybody at this point has made that adjustment, at least some adjustment for the most part. Yeah. There's,
1: there's some stragglers still out there, but I mean, now that Arizona but, is, but not, even,
0: even stragglers aren't like completely disregarding, um, no, I, I, I think that model where, where front offices and managers are working more closely together.
1: Yeah. There's some weird stuff that happens, but nothing where it's just, yeah. When de- you look at it, it just I'm doesn't just, make any sense I, at all. I'm,
0: I'm defending Dusty a little bit saying it was as much the front office as it was Dusty Baker, just being an old school guy in Cincinnati. Yeah, sure. You know, and that happens. So uh, do we want to do a little prospect talk? A little little draft talk?
1: We should. Yeah, we should talk draft.
0: Okay. Uh, Let's see. What do we have here? Uh, We have Gary Wheeler asks, what is your favorite pick for the Brewers from the draft this week and why? And I'm going to let you – I'm not going to sit here and, like, pretend that I, I that have – That you've
1: done much of this yet?
0: Yeah, that I, I have a good uh, idea and handle on this. And it would be nice if we had JP here for it. But, Ryan, this is going to be your time to shine. So do you want to take over for a little bit? Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, there's two of us here so or <laughs> we
0: or we could talk about like Keith Law and his write up on the draft.
1: Yeah, the one that you said was so harsh and it really No,
0: and you know what's funny is that that's the kind of thing where, you know, when you're reading something like that from like Keith Law, he's clearly trying to weigh the positives and negatives of all the draft picks. Sure. And he's writing up very short blurbs for on, every team. And it, he was covering I think at a minimum of like he'd mentioned at least 5 guys. Yeah, no, he was basically going through the first
1: five rounds and then a little bit deeper. Yeah, as if there's somebody warranted. Yeah, yeah, if
0: there's somebody interesting. So that's why it was like, well, of course, it sounds. Some of those write-ups sounded like, oh, he hates this guy. It's like, well, when you have two lines and you're trying to give a little bit of a a balanced view on them, as opposed to saying, you know, he's a a you know comp to Pedro Martinez or something like that. Yeah, because there's so many of those as well when you're watching oh. the draft. Oh. And I know it's annoying, but I mean, part of that is people, if you don't use someone that everybody knows, right. Then the comp doesn't mean anything. Right. Like, and
1: they're trying to sell, they're, they're trying, trying to sell the product. too. Yeah, they are right. They're, they're trying to, you know, give people that you know, whatever, you
0: know, that's why everybody's to You know, if there's a lefty who looks like he might be a, an ace all of a sudden it's like, well, he could be the next Kershaw. Well, of course that's ridiculous.
1: Well, yeah. Though sometimes it does. Mackenzie Gore last year went number three to the Padres. There's a lot of things where you could say, "Well, that is kind of Kershaw-like in that he was so developed and he was so mature as a as a pitcher coming out of high school, and he hits pro ball
0: right away." But still, attaining that, regardless of how good a kid is, attaining that level is a ridiculous expectation. Yeah. But again, it gives kind of a uh, it gives people who aren't following closely. At something. least something to, you know, dream on, I guess.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the top. We we should mention the the top of the Brewers draft at least here. Mm-hmm. So Bryce Tarango's uh at 21 overall, the Brewers' first pick, and he's a high school shortstop. And he was a guy who, coming into the year, and like last year, looked like he could potentially be a top five. He was in the running to be the number one overall pick. And he has not been... Since since he sort of got tagged with that, people have been picking him apart and going, well, does he really have the power that you look for? Uh, the bat speed has been questioned, whether or not he really has...
0: And again, we're talking about
1: shortstop here. Shortstop, yeah. And his, he, like his main thing, he is going to be probably a very good defender. And he I has think that plus was, to plus plus speed.
0: And I think that was in Law's write-up, is that basically his glove is going to play.
1: Right. So whether or not that you know how the bat matures and how that develops we'll see we'll see how that how that progresses but when you're picking at 21 you're picking a player who has warts there's nothing you're not getting a guy who's who's going to be all things to all people unless you get lucky you know you're and the luck mike trout if if you look at so mike trout fell into the mid-20s i think he was picked at 26 ish i
0: was like 21 No,
1: no, no. It was it was uh, just a couple picks before the Brewers picked at twenty eight when they picked Arnett in two thousand nine. Yeah.
0: Then the Angels had back to back picks. They had had twenty six and twenty seven. So he's taken in one of those.
1: He was in one of those two picks. Yeah.
0: Anyway, uh, you don't want to
1: rehash that. Oh, let's not.
0: So you don't want to rehash that Mark Teixeira was considered a better uh, free agent than uh, CC. I mean, the
1: Angels were going to pick Trout with that pick with the pick that they did have anyway, and it was going to be ahead of what the Brewers were picking. Sure. So the, the the Angels, I think, were entitled to twenty six anyway. They got twenty seven from the Yankees, yeah. and I think they took Trout with twenty seven. But they would have just taken Trout anyway. Like they they would have, they liked him. They were going to take him. But the Brewers were absolutely. I, I don't know if people know this. If you listen to this, you probably do. But the Brewers were absolutely in love with Mike Trout and were constantly connected to him that year. So it was it was a thing. They really they were hoping he would fall to them, and he didn't. And you think about how different. I don't want to do this, Steve. Okay, (laughs) getting back to this draft. Anyway, so the point that I was making with that was a guy like uh, Jared Kelnick, who was taken number six overall by the Mets out of Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. cold weather situation, toolsy kid, but didn't face a lot of great competition late. So teams had questions. Teams are a lot more comfortable making that kind of pick now than they were in 2009. And so I think that, Especially now, it's harder to get guys who could potentially be that good to fall into the mid-20s. That, that was really my point. Anyway, so Terang is a guy, high school kid, with pretty solid upside. Their next two picks on night one were both outfielders. Uh, John Gray from Mississippi. Joe and, Gray? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Joe. John Gray. John
0: Gray is pitching for the Rockies it, right now. That's so. a
1: different top pick, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mike Bello out of Hawaii. And... Both are guys with really good tools, especially Gray. Gray is a guy that people look at and go, this guy could be an absolute stud. The, the whole question is, will he actually make enough contact? And is there enough to, to make the rest of it play? You have to make contact. And they, you just don't know at this point. And there's some questions about uh, position players from that area. I was going to say, bo- questions.
0: both of the picks, I think, have the issue of uh, basically being from areas that aren't as solid draft locations. Right. They're not Miss- the heart Mississippi, of Hawaii. You know, so you're dealing with like, what's the competition they're playing against? Mm-hmm.
1: So what what matters a lot in those situations then is what they did on the showcase circuit the summer before, you know, and that's where. A and bug. again,
0: this is where the joke about law came in. I think Gray had a rough showing against some of the Showcase uh, circuit guys.
1: Yeah. And so that becomes a, a question. You know, he... The, the thing that I like about Gray is he was apparently making contact against Heat. But absolutely, ridiculously awful against Breaking Balls. And if you're going to give me the choice of the two things with a guy who maybe hasn't faced top of the line competition as a high schooler, give me the guy who can hit heat, who's shown he can hit heat because he's going to have to do that to be able to play. If he hasn't seen enough good breaking stuff at this point, you can at least hope and dream on the idea that as he sees more of it, he can start to adjust to it. You know what I mean? That there's that, there's at least that possibility. So it's better than the flip side, a guy who's making contact against
0: junk. I don't know if it's better. But in okay. that, I'm, but, I'm going but is it
1: necessarily catching up to heat? Well, that's going to present problems because you're going to see a lot of heat in pro ball. Sure. So anyway, um, getting beyond that, the guy that I, I wanted to pick is the most, I guess the most interesting pick that they made mm-hmm. um, was sixth rounder out of Oregon State. And that's Drew Rasmussen. And so Rasmussen's kind of an interesting guy here. He was taken last year in the first round and did not sign. And there were some issues with with health and he petitioned MLB to be declared a free agent. Yeah, he had Tommy John in March of 2016. And he just had Tommy John again. Okay. He's, he's had two Tommy Johns now. He's, so he's been through Tommy John twice. He had Tommy John again in last September. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't pitched really since last year at all. Well, he hasn't pitched since last year at all. Uh, so Rasmussen right now is this big question mark. Two Tommy Johns. The first one didn't seem to be successful. There's kind of a low probability here where you look
0: at a guy. So his potential first-round talent with huge injury question with marks. With huge injury question marks. And yeah, if they if they get that right, if
1: Ivy turns out to be okay, yeah, you in the 6th round, if you can get that kind of talent, do it. That's that's exactly what you want. Uh but the probability's low. So it's a it's a high risk potentially good upside play for them, which was really sort of definitionally what their draft was about. You look at what they're, what they drafted this year.
0: Yeah. They went a lot of high school early.
1: Yeah. Their first three picks were high schoolers with, with upside for the first five, especially gray was, you yeah know, is just huge upside. The tools there look like he could potentially be a, a true stud, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So, in the position that they're in, if you take step back and take a look at the whole, the whole franchise and where they're at, they really are in a position where this is what they need, because they have they still have farm system depth. They still have guys that are that project throughout the system to come up and be potential big league role players. But what they need is somebody to break out into superstardom. Mm-hmm. That was a big part of why they made the trade for Christian Yelich. Because they didn't have a guy that looked like a potential, you know, five, six, seven win player on the roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Harrison is probably the most hope for that, and he had a long way to go.
1: Yeah, Harrison was the most hope for that, and I'm going to say the name now, Steve. Corey Ray is, you know, he's reestablishing himself
0: this year. Sure. I'm, he, yeah,
1: Corey, I Corey Ray is reestablishing himself. Yeah, I so. won't
0: argue with that. I mean, I think... You know, there's probably question marks about like how high his ceiling is now.
1: Yeah, potentially, but that was that was somewhat. I think you could get
0: a good all around player with Corey Ray at this point. That's what you're hoping for, but I mean, he's not going to be some you know lineup centerpiece.
1: No, probably not unless the power continues to emerge and progress. That's the that'd be the thing if he can turn into. And there is this weird thing going on now where we should note i don't think we talked about it at all baseball has come out and said yeah the ball's different it it
0: did happen and well that came out like a couple years ago
1: now no a couple weeks ago mlb came out and now has copped to it you, oh i thought they had,
0: i thought they admitted that a couple years no, ago they'd been
1: denied denied deny denied. Okay. They, they they released information about it and they basically said yeah the ball's different and one of the things that's really been different about uh about how prospecting has worked in this time period is the ball in the minor leagues is, is still not the powerful ball that is in the major leagues. So guys sometimes they're now, still
0: scuffing it up and spitting on it and the things <laughs> like <laughs> yes. full of uh, tobacco juice. and yes. Just a brick by the end of the game. So guys
1: sometimes now do come up and see power spikes. I think you're seeing it with Glaber Torres this year. You're seeing it with, you know, Reese Hoskins. I wish people could stats. see
0: your eyes right now, dreaming about Corey Ray's power spike. I'm, I am. I, there is. There's, there's, there's like a gleam. There's, well, there's hey. lust. <laughs> and I see <laughs> lust in your eyes. It's,
1: it's also, uh, you know, something that you hope on with Keston Hero as well. Like, I'm not just confining this to Ray, but there's, sure. there's this thing happening now where guys are coming up to the majors and they maybe have a somewhat powerful approach. And then it, it hits the next level as they get to the majors. So. Well,
0: I think the hope with Hero though is that he's just a talented enough hitter that if you then add a power spike on it,
1: right? That yes, because he is a talented, talented hitter, which nobody should be surprised hitter. about. No, no. He was
0: he was the best hitter going into the draft with a big health question mark with his elbow.
1: Right. People didn't know what to make of his of the elbow, and. You know where he was ultimately going to be. So you're supposed late. to say
0: it again. If only there was a DH in the National League.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, if there's the elbow's an issue that does affect the swing too.
0: So. Well, yeah, but they'd be able to give him time off, so he's not constantly playing in the field. Sure. So, so
1: anyway, that's that's uh, we'll talk more on the.
0: I would say you you and JP um, this
1: week we'll be getting together. Hopefully, we'll have a guest, but. If we don't, we'll just, you know, go into more depth on this.
0: They'll just yeah. read more of uh, Keith Law's <laughs> write-ups. <laughs> there are more people online writing about it. I joke. I joke. So, um, anyways, we have a Patreon question from Mitch Reichert. Uh, I noticed the other day that Lucas Ersig had 11 errors thus far in A. Is this something to be concerned about? <laughs> you don't want to be concerned about this, I don't, do you?
1: I mean... Errors are a funny thing.
0: It's a hard thing to judge on, especially if you're not watching the games.
1: Right. It is a hard thing to
0: judge on when you're not watching the because games. Because he's considered a plus defensive third baseman. Yeah, plus, potentially plus, plus. So yeah. he's, got the, he's got the big arm, but he's also got the glove and the range to play it. Right. You know,
1: I would be, in terms of what I'm concerned about with Lucas Ersig, I'm far more concerned right now about the bat. And it he's shown some signs of you have know, coming out of it. And he's been a guy who has taken time to adjust to a level. And then when he gets the promotion or sorry, take time to adjust to a level and then take off. Mm-hmm. That's been a thing for him. And besides making the jump to the big leagues, the toughest jump that you make in the minors is from high A to, to double A. It's where things really get narrowed in terms of, you know, the talent. So I'm more concerned about that. I want to see more and in the defense we will we'll see. That's that's much less of a concern
0: right now. So, yeah, that's something to really get all worked up about yet. Yeah. He he has he has larger issues to deal with.
1: Yeah, I yeah, the bats going to need to be better than what it has been or the, how good the defense is doesn't really even matter.
0: Yeah. So, okay, and finally we have a question from Steve Jaha, must be uh John Jaha's brother son i mean we're we're oh god oh, yeah well, i mean we're old oh steve. oh god really yeah you're right we, well maybe so anyways how is ryan's brother a diehard cubs fan and how is ryan <laughs> a, die, a diehard brewers fan
1: <laughs> i forgot about this one and uh,
0: apparently steve here uh took a class with travis uh college class with travis back in the day yep that I'm doesn't narrow it down know. that could be in a few different places right yeah
1: yeah anyway uh Okay, so in the 90s, (laughs) I had a dalliance. I need to, like, bring out the confessional. (laughs) So for a few years there, I uh, threw my lot in more so. I I never stopped being a Brewer fan and hoping the Brewers would do well. But there was that off-season where they went and signed everybody. And especially, like, Sirhoff going there was a big deal. Um, But they also signed, man, they signed a bunch of relievers. Who are you talking
0: about? The Orioles. Oh, okay. You didn't specify that. You are just saying they sorry. they signed, and I'm like, who so the, is they? I'm the, like, the Orioles, I know the Brewers didn't sorry. sign BJ Serhoff. Okay. So
1: this was right after the Cal Ripken thing in 95, and then uh, there was never a huge Cal Ripken guy. It was more... Brady Anderson. So that this is where we get to the Brady Anderson thing. You
0: were all about the PEDs. So
1: I, yeah, I was a huge Brady Anderson fan, and I, I still have the authentic jersey that I got for Christmas then, and somehow it still fits. I don't understand that at all. It's because like, everything
0: it, we um, wore in the 90s was like a parachute. was huge and so, baggy. So now for you, it's a slim fit.
1: Yeah, now it's... Yeah, it's a little snug, but it still fits. So uh, yeah, so during that time period, I was a Orioles ish fan. And that pretty much died out
0: like late nineties. I
1: think of the, the
0: how does the, this the affect Brewers. the anyway, relationship with your brother and being a Cubs well, fan? So
1: he didn't have a good, strong example in terms of Brewer fandom at that time. And he was a fan of the Cubs because my cousin who lived up the road from us was a Cubs fan. And he also followed him into penguins fandom at the time. And, uh, So my younger brother was a Cubs fan because of that. And what cemented it was the Kerry Wood 20K game. I came home from school and he was there already watching it. And we watched the end of that together. And like he ever since basically then he was a huge Cubs fan. And I didn't push him on the fact because the Brewers were pretty – terrible at the time so I've like I encouraged I was a good older brother I bought him I ran down to the uh, convenience store and got him the uh, Chicago Tribune with all the
0: stuff so he could put it on his walls what are you talking about you're supposed to punch him yeah it's not a punch The (laughs) midsection that way you don't leave like bruises (laughs) that you get in trouble for so anyway yeah so I actually that's just a 90s thing don't do that nowadays
1: I somewhat encouraged it and that's how he became a Cubs fan and I was a Brewers fan
0: But he is a Badger fan.
1: Oh, everything else, yeah.
0: Everything else is pretty normal. Well, he
1: hates he hates the NBA, but well, that's a different
0: issue. And he he, actually,
1: we were both big Bucks fans. I used to take him to Bucks games, and and he
0: cheers for the Packers reluctantly. (laughs) Is a team a team that he's going to root for in the NFL
1: right yeah no that's but that's uh, all of us at this point i I think so it's kind of just how it goes these
0: days (laughs) that's what it is so uh yeah you didn't do your your duty and this apparently not this is what we ended up with
1: yeah apparently not is he
0: gonna be a like a red Sox fan now oh because he's moving now is he gonna adopt any of the the boston stuff do you think he's gonna have an accent
1: <laughs> we'll kick him out of the family. I, I mean, want to see him coming so back. back and talking about Dunkin' Donuts.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Just all garbage. Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what those Boston people are thinking.
1: Um. So anyway, chowder.
0: Yeah. Chowder donuts sound like the worst thing in the world.
1: <laughs> well, chowder is good though.
0: <laughs> but I don't want it in my donuts. No. No uh, clams in my donuts. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, anything else for this week? We're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to be a little short, I think.
1: Are we? Okay.
0: Yeah, we're about on time. So
1: We don't have any more questions?
0: Yeah, we got a couple things. We'll get to them next week when we have our expert back.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's how it goes. Okay. Oh, hey, Bruce of the Base is loaded for Lorenzo Cain.
0: Oh, with that, we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. <laughs> So uh, that's going to do it for the show this week. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast and that's going to come out soon and it's going to cover the recent uh, draft. Yeah, Lorenzo Kane. Yeah, it was a comebacker
1: pitcher couldn't do anything with it and it ended up uh, an infield hit.
0: There we go. If it rains because uh, people tomorrow will know what happens but if it rains right now at least they're not going to lose in 5 innings.
1: Ooh, good call. Yeah, Yelich Yelich is uh, going to be up here to potentially take the lead, which is very very important at this particular moment.
0: That is super clutch. So anyways, Minor League Extra Podcast. That's going to be coming out uh go to patreon.com/mke tailgate. As always, follow us on Twitter at mke tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store, and you can find us on all your other uh, podcast outlets. So uh, You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.